I've met Gaston a few years back when he was coaching my lovely wife and I was going through a rough patch at the time and the few moments that we spent together were truly inspiring. Gaston is tall, charming, with a contagious smile and a very thoughtful gaze. I would classify Gaston as a young wise, basically the Dutch version of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm terrified of his powerful mind and I'm excited to see where this conversation will lead. My name is Gianluca Cinque Palmi, you're listening to GLC Live, my podcast dedicated to business design. I'm an educator, design entrepreneur, and best-selling author. This show, I challenge designers, creatives, and entrepreneurs to unravel the complexities between business and design. In this episode, Desire and Purpose, and the meaningful interaction between business and design. Ciao Gaston, welcome. <laughs> Hi, Gianluca. Happy to be uh, on your podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. I've been waiting for this moment for a long time. <laughs> yes. Sorry for the reschedule. Yes. <laughs> so, Gaston, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the kind of work that you do? And to surprise us, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. So my name is Gaston Schmitz. My first name is French. My last name sounds German, but I'm actually from the Netherlands originally, uh, but been living in uh, Thailand, Chiang Mai, Thailand for the last 12 years. And I am one of the executive coaches uh, and partners at the Asian Leadership Institute. Mm -hmm. And we do mostly executive coaching of senior leaders, as well as high performing team development. So... I spend most of my days helping mostly executives and startup founders to become much more self-aware, much more conscious for the benefit of themselves, their teams, and their organizations. Awesome. I, I can just imagine how wonderful and fulfilling this, this line of work is. And, but also, I, I think at the time, it must be very challenging, no? Yeah, I, I love what I do. I wouldn't like to change anything or move into any profession. I think one of the biggest satisfactions I get is um, helping people see that they're so much bigger than their personality, mm -hmm. than what they've been programming in their early life as what, what we call their autopilot. Mm -hmm. And so every time I can help people realize that they can break through any self-limiting obstacles they put for themselves, whether it's mentally or emotionally, that is hugely fulfilling if I can be the facilitator of that process. Um, it's true. It's not always easy. It's not always straightforward, but that's what makes it fulfilling in the end. Mm. So I... In, in a way, I, I, I've been working in this similar line of work when I've been coaching, whether I was working with, with companies and CEOs when I was doing business design or branding, or students when I was doing master students or bachelor. And most of the time I struggle in trying to give them advice or when, they, when they ask um, about their purpose or, or what should they do for their career. And most of the time I have to stop one second and, and discuss with them and try to understand what is, what is it that they desire. <laughs> so we, we decided a few weeks ago that we were going to do this, this discussion on desire, which is one of the five fundamental principles of of business design that I discuss. And it's difficult. It's difficult when we, we have some cases where a complete lack of desire or purpose. So when you have young entrepreneurs or young designers that are actually saying, you know, I don't know what I'm doing and why, or they, they fixate on some ideas that are being fed just by third party or, or the, 
the status quo, I would say, oh, you need to be famous, you need to be rich, you need to be whatever, dot, dot, dot. So what's your take on, on desirability and desire? And also you, you have the opportunity to work with a lot of companies. How do we become also desirable in a way? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll, I'll speak to your, your first point before that very often people don't really know exactly what they want, right? Or, and it's true, especially these days, right? Our, our mental bandwidth is so you know, put under pressure by this constant flow of information that to really reconnect with what you really want, like at a deeper level, not just a you know, programming from media, etc., actually requires some stillness sometimes, some real moment to pause and look inside instead of just being reactive to what's mm. coming from the outside. And so, at least in my field of work, I'm trying to constantly create conditions for people to look inside, to listen to the deeper voice, right? To connect with the wisdom or even genius that, it's, that is inside, and so it's very often not that there's a lack of that within people, but they haven't managed to create the right conditions for that wisdom or that genius or that purpose to surface. Mm. And it's becoming harder and harder. I mean, we're just so stretched and we can't even sit still for 30 seconds, right? And just not grab our phone or anything else. And so how do we find a place to, or moments where we can, connect with, hey, what actually really matters to me? What are some of my core fundamental needs and values? And, and what do I desire at the deeper level? Not at the superficial kind of a desire to fulfill some unpleasant emotion that you're having, right? So you might feel a little anxious or you might feel a bit stressed. And from that place, you desire a, a chocolate bar or yeah. a whatever, a glass of wine. But... When I speak about desire, it's like I sometimes equate it with more deeper aspiration, right? Mm -hmm. And what is it that really uh, drives me? What is, yeah, it's very close to, to purpose here as well. Like what, yeah, what's, what's fundam fundamental for me? Like what's essential? And, and again, if people don't feel, notice or don't create any form of stillness or any form of slowing down, it's extremely difficult to connect with it. So it's there, but how can we elicit it? So when I, when I talk about uh, desirability and, uh, and I think it's quite, uh, it's quite easy to, to look at what do I desire? And I know that, I, that you know, in Asian philosophies, uh, so most of the time desirability is also seen as as negative as you know especially in, in the classic buddhist tradition that the source of all evil or the source the source of all suffering is is actually the desire in in so many different forms and so i see especially young young professionals so young designers and entrepreneurs they do have this desire to you know, raise capital, sell a billion dollar or whatever in their mind is the label of success. Of course, they want to be successful. They want to be accepted. They want to be outstanding, but they see the outcome as the source of their success. Mm. And I suggested them that maybe when they say, even in the simplest form, which is, oh, I want to work with this massive company, right? I want to work with the best of the best, whatever, design company or, or finance company. And I suggested them, which is, don't you think that instead of thinking, what should I do to get into this company, you should ask what will make you as an individual desirable to these companies. Yes. Right. Yeah. So for you, because you work with so many 
uh, great professionals. In your opinion, what makes a company or a product desirable? First question. <laughs> and do you believe that CEOs or this Fortune 500 infuse a greater sense of purpose in their company vision? And what happens when they do and what happens when they don't? And is it possible that that in this utopian scenario of you know the current hyperdynamic and upper competitive market ruled by shareholders can we still do that can we still infuse purpose and meaning because also that becomes a little bit empty when you are looking at you know i need to make money i need to make the quarter but why is that yeah yeah there's a lot there's a lot in there yeah. i uh, I can speak to, I, uh, apart from your two questions, I, I do want to speak briefly to this point of desire indeed. And, and I practice a lot of Zen uh, meditation and indeed sometimes desire and that philosophy is indeed seen as some, as the cause of a lot of, of suffering, right? If we get really have particular desire and we don't get what we desire, mm -hmm. we often are left with some unpleasant emotional state or, but it's not all. I mean, there's actually a distinction between what I would call wholesome and unwholesome desires. Yep. And so that's good to explore, right? If you have a desire to kind of alleviate poverty in the world, that's as such a, a wholesome desire, right? If you, sure. so that's the first thing it's like checking in is, is my desire wholesome or unwholesome? And the second thing is where a lot of my clients or leaders get into trouble if is when there's attachment to the desire. So the desire as such is not always bad, but it's when we want at all cost to get or achieve that, what we desire, that's where we often get into trouble. This is where you see leaders, they might have a desire for a particular financial result or a particular market share or a particular thing. And then if they get attached to that, what you often see is that values, ethics, and even some, to some degree, purpose sometimes gets thrown out of the window in order to get those next quarterly results or to get those. Now, there's nothing wrong with having an aspiration to build, say, a billion-dollar company. But if we get too attached to particular short-term desires, it can basically sabotage some of the values, the ethics, and culture in a company. I've seen this regularly in my practice. Mm -hmm. So that's what we need to be careful of. And this is where, you know, to your question, there's nothing wrong with fundamental, I think, capitalist principles, but it needs to be combined with, with values, ethics, purpose, meaning. Yeah. I would like to go on a tangent with you briefly. And if it, this gets too long, we're probably going to cut it. <laughs> so I wonder one thing. So you're saying... Rightfully, there is nothing wrong in, in may having a billion dollar company, but I do have an issue and I see this behavior in, in many companies now when, when they don't realize that the company is as much as a social enterprise than a financial one. I have this uh, small quote in business beyond design and, and I, I, and I want to ask is that what is it that drives that fulfillment? Meaning that if, like you were saying, no, you are willing to take ethics and morale and sometimes, not all the time, there are companies that are a trillion dollar company and they're a wonderful company and they do a lot of good. But in general, if, if we see this greed, at the end of the day, even if you are a CEO and okay, maybe you made the quarter and maybe you made your bonus, which is a multi-million dollar bonus. But then if you are alone, uh, and even if you have a private jet or a supercar or a villa with a pool and you have nobody, <laughs> nobody around you, I wonder, or, or if you feel miserable, you know, what good does that bring? And I don't know, I don't have the answer because if a lot of companies and a lot of people are going toward that direction, there must be a secondary trigger 
that we are not seeing? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. And I, I mean, and I, I see a lot of leaders that I work with or I observe them in the companies I work with that indeed are driven by particular drivers. And I, I never really have a judgment or I try not to have any judgments. It's just the question is what works for the, for the people involved, right? I do see a trend where less and less people are interested to work in highly transactional work environments where it's just all about optimizing bottom line and we're all just inputs to a P&L statement or balance sheet, right? And But if people are happy around that and wanting to join as a group and pursuing that, that's fine, right? I, I don't think you should have judgment, but the question is, I've seen the leaders that truly create followership and create big transformations in companies are the ones that are driven by purpose and values that is that goes well beyond their self-interest, mm. right? So, and this is when I talk about wholesome desire, it's very often the more selfless it is in nature, often the more powerful and inspiring it becomes. For people around you. So if you if you lead a company and you want to basically, I, I once had an executive that I said, so listen, I asked my clients a lot the question like, what drives you? What, it, what brings you purpose and meaning? Because purpose is one of the biggest energy sources that we can tap into. So if you're aware of what brings purpose to you and the people that work for you, you have some very valuable insight. And so I ask very often my clients, I want I still remember this client, um, founder of a company that grew successfully. He says, "Listen, I just want the bigger jet." <laughs> <laughs> so, so he, he actually, you know, they they already had a jet and they wanted a bigger jet. And I was like, yeah, "Wow, it's fascinating." Yeah, but is but, is it? Uh, I talk about this and and I say, is it truly the bigger jet that your client wants, or is the recognition of having the bigger jet? Sure, sure. Obviously, and that's why I'm sharing this example. That's not the core need, right? These are all, and this is something I truly believe in, everything that we want are strategies to meet certain deeper needs that we have, right? Mm -hmm. So when a client says, listen, I want to build a billion dollar company, I want to say the client says, listen, I just want to be a CEO of a Fortune 100 company. I said, that sounds like a strategy, to meet another need. A bigger jet sounds like a strategy to meet a bigger need. Tell me more about the need. Why is that so important to you? Why, what's underneath? Why is it? And then very often you learn deeper, whether it's anxieties, fears, insecurities, needing to prove, needing to establish, needing to position, needing to whatever is underneath that. And we shouldn't judge any of that. We all have our version of that. Mm -hmm. But once people start understanding, wait a minute, I've been driven in my career the last 20 years because I'm an insecure overachiever okay. or because I still want to prove my dad that I'm actually worthy or I still want to do that becomes that insight becomes quite liberating once you realize, wow, what if I'd be okay the way I am? What if? I'm worthy the way I am. What if I can just accept the full package that I am and from that place lead this company instead of frantically trying to meet some underlying unconscious need that I never attended to through you know, particular pursuits? Because whenever you lead or act from that place, it's not necessarily inspiring to the people around you. Mm. Uh, so the more, because it's self, still self-driven, not always conscious, but it's still self-driven. And so we try our clients to lead in a much more and more selfless way. And that's what attracts people. That's like, wow, this is where purpose, purpose is something that goes beyond your vested self-interest and it, and it's contagious, you know, mm. real purpose-driven leaders, you know, it just, You get hooked and it's not a, a rational mental hook. It's like an emotional hook. You're like, wow, I want to, I want to follow this guy, this, or this woman, right? This is really inspiring, right? So real purpose driven leaders very often are very inspiring as well. And both reside in the limbic brain, 
by the way, it's not a thought process. It's very much a feeling mm. state, a purpose and inspiration. So right? I, I always share my own personal story that when I had an agency and, and like you said, I did a, an agency and I won a bigger agency. I did, I won one uh, design award and then I was looking at the people that we were winning three design awards. And then uh, I was managing director and I was making X amount and I was looking at another managing director that was doing uh, X and Y amount. <laughs> so it was horrible. And, uh, and I didn't enjoy what I was doing anymore. And I've been trying to to analyze this with, with my own self. And I, and, and I'm asking, and, and the only solution I could find was trying to focus not on what I wanted, but what should I have done to become more desirable? So I was not, I didn't want to yeah. focus on my desire of, yeah. of that, but trying to focus on, okay, if I do want to achieve something, how do I get myself in that position of being desirable for other people to, yeah. to do whatever th they want to do, you know, hired me or, or et cetera. So it's the same kind of advice that I, that I try to give to young entrepreneurs and to, tr to young designers, entrepreneurs, when I said, what problem are you trying to solve, which means how desirable your solution or your company is for the people that are going to purchase your product on service. And on the flip side, yeah. because I'm trying to do this journey of self-discovery and I'm asking you these techniques of how do I become more desirable yeah. as a, as a professional, because this is what, especially my students, they also focus, they, they always focus on, oh, I want to work for this company. I want to do this much money. And I said, before that, what's the path of yeah. what, what makes you more desirable for others? Yeah. And I, and yeah, I, and I have a questions like, so how, how even me, no, even for myself, and how do, how do I become more interesting, more desirable for other people? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. And it's, for me, it's all about, don't make it about you. Right. So that shifts from indeed focusing on our own desires to becoming more desirable. For me, it's step out of this self-consciousness and start focusing on how can you serve other people in a way that's really meaningful. Right. So I'll give my own example. If I'm too busy with, listen, I want to become, build an X amount of coaching business, or I want to be really successful coach, or I want to be famous. And I, with that consciousness, I go into coaching conversations. I'll be a lousy coach. I'll be very <laughs> lousy, right? But every time I go into a coaching conversation, I make two commitments with myself. First is I'm going to serve this person to the best of my ability. I'm going to see what I can do. And secondly, I'm going to be genuinely curious, fascinated, and non-judgmental about, and even compassionate, right? Mm. That, and I go into, and I'm just absorbed in that person. And how can I serve that person in the best possible way? Using all these qualities that I've gathered from all my teachers and, and people that influence me. And I just be of service. And it's, then it just becomes not about me. And I think that's attractive to people, not just in the coaching realm. I think in general, the great CEOs I worked with, they're like, they have very limited self-consciousness. It's not about them. It's all about, okay, how can I make the people around me more successful? How can I make others grow and develop? Very often when I ask my clients, what brings you meaning and purpose? They often say, when I see people in my team grow and develop or do things they never thought they could. Mm. They rarely say when I personally made my numbers, that's actually not what elicits meaning and purpose for many people. It's when they are a vehicle or a, a facilitator for other people's success, growth and development. And so 
my advice to your clients or to your students would be focus on how you can be of service, utilizing and leveraging all the, the beautiful qualities you've gathered and don't get too occupied with what I call compare, comparing mind, right? If I would be comparing myself to other coaches every day, I'd be also a lousy coach because True. I'm not tapping into my, my own. It's not that I shouldn't learn, right? I should definitely look at other coaches and practices and, and get better all the time, but not make it just about me and my identity or my, yeah, needing to, to prove things. So I think, so two, two suggestions for your students is who do you want to serve? Like, who do you want to really be of service to? And, and, and secondly, if there's statements like, I want to be famous or I want to earn that amount of money, to what purpose? Like, why is that important to, to you? Tell me more about that. And because there are very often strategies to things that are deeper down. And once they connect with that, they start realizing, oh, there's actually many different strategies to meet that need. Mm. It doesn't have to be fame, which fame by nature is very self, self-directed, sure. right? Now, fame, fame is very often a spinoff effect if you serve people very well. True, right? true. And yeah. I always bring this example when they were saying, oh, I want to be famous. And I said, you know, if you want to be a, say, a famous singer, the first important part is you need to make a great song. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And to make a great song, you need to be a great songwriter or you need to be a great a great musician right so mm. because i think you know maybe in the past more than now you know jimmy hendrix didn't became jimmy hendrix because he was just looking in a certain way he was a very innovative guitar player right so yeah. he he has done something that not a lot of people could do at the time. Now, of course, nowadays that he has, you know, flattened the path for all other guitarists, I would say. Now everybody can copy Jimi Hendrix, but at the time, yeah. in the 60s, he was an innovator. He was promoting something totally new and, and fresh. And to do so, he was practicing hours and hours and hours and hours. And, and I... The problem that I face as well is now that I'm trying in my own practice and, you know, the podcast is, uh, for example, this is what I'm trying to do to, to promote this message of trying to rethink the way that we do business and we can learn from the design practices of thinking about principles of, of prototyping of human center. When you design something, you know, ergonomics is important. So if you are designing a chair, you need to think about the butts of the people that are going to sit on that chair. So it's, it's human centric by definition. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I want to, to bring this into the business. In the, into the business world, into the entrepreneurship world, uh, and, and trying to shape a new way of doing this kind of business, right? But then even myself, I face these issues of, okay, so why should I do that? You know, why, what are the results? Can you prove that my bottom line is going to grow? And this is always the challenge of becoming more desirable. And to do so, I, I need to change the way that I address my practice. Do you have any advice on how do I focus more <laughs> or how do I convince these people, even in, in your own line of work, which is, you know, coaching and personal coaching, you say, okay, yeah, but I don't want to sit on a yoga mat. You know, I'm too busy. I need to, you know, sell whatever, iPhones or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. A few, a few thoughts on that. I mean, uh, and first of all, especially in the arts field, right? Writers, painters, musicians, podcast recorders. I mean, if you, if you engage in these activities focused on self, 
like if you would write a book because you want to write a bestseller and you want to be famous around that, it's going to be a really lousy book, True. right? But if you, if you dedicate, listen, I want to serve people and I write, or I want to do this podcast because I really want to help people. That's where you stand a chance that it's being picked up because that vibration actually gets transmitted and, you know, you enter a different creative part of your brain and, Without being too worried, because if you're too self-conscious, you're also going to be too worried about being judged, right? Okay. What will people think? What will be, I always tell my clients, don't worry about being judged. You are being judged. Just serve, way. just do your work. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, don't, you don't need to worry about it. There's, you know, when we give public speeches or keynotes or just, yeah, you don't need to worry about being judged. You are being judged. So just, just do the best you can and serve people and, but in terms of your, your question, I, uh, so your question is like, how do we make, how do I make time? And, you know, with the, with the pressure of needing to constantly create value, say for the organization you're in, Probably. Um, how do you, how do you merge that with the need to invest in your own? Yeah, that, that could be a take, but also how do you tangibly explain to people that that's the right approach that, you know, investing in yourself, in your own personal development, in your ability to become more desirable rather than thinking about what you desire is, mm. is fundamental. Mm. Yeah. I, I actually think once, once people get a taste of the possibilities. So wh what I love to do for people is let them realize the possibilities that they have that they never knew they had, right? So it needs to create a degree of excitement and realizing that, again, there's so much more than their, their personality. And so once they connect with insights or practices and they realize it either um, feels good or they get a certain benefit of it. So I, I would say start very small, right? Okay. And start with bite-sized kind of insights how about you so, so i'm always cautious of of giving clients huge stretch assignments right off the bat mm -hmm. especially if it's around things that they've been you know not doing for decades right so sure. you want to make sure that they have small wins and really celebrate and feel those and that's often gets the flywheel going so that's where they start to get excited and wow i i realize I have so many more possibilities or options, right? So get them excited around um, that. So that's more at the level of making the gains more visible for them. But you can also emphasize the pain points, right? I guess the same in marketing, right? You can also let people really realize if you don't do this work, you're likely going to be, you know, stressed, anxious, insecure, mm. you know, you'll, you'll be maybe trying to suppress those parts of you for a long time, but that's a big cost of not looking inwards and starting to focus on self-development. And so you can make sometimes the pain bigger or you <laughs> let them experience the gain. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, if we want to go practical into something that I've been trying to hack in my life as well, and um, this whole second series, series is, you know, series one was about business and design. Series two is about trying to use this fundamental principle to improve also your personal life, because this is what mm. a lot of my listeners said, oh, I want to use these five fundamental principles to to for self-development right hmm. and so one of the things that i'm trying to do is like i said changing this idea of uh desire from from okay only looking at the let, let, let's say an outcome oriented objective or goal and go more for a process oriented goal so I always like to, to give some practical tools, but I, I want to share with you guys on what I'm doing and maybe you can give me some extra work or you can give us uh, some alternative. So for example, what I notice is that if we break down 
an aim, an objective, a desire, how you want to call it. Let's call it goal for the sake of discussion. Each goal, goal is I want to achieve something within a certain amount of time, right? Otherwise, is you have a life purpose that has even whether you like it or not, you have a, a time, <laughs> yeah, right? It could be mm-hmm. 125 or, or 200 years old, but in reality, there is a time limit as well. That is our, you know, physical self, uh, we can call it. So that's a goal. A goal is made of projects, right? So I, I say that you can make a lot of projects and each project is made of tasks. And then I was trying to match this with, okay, what do I need to fulfill task, which is time, right? So I, I, I've been trying to, I've been struggling a little bit. I have these five uh, affirmations that I write every morning that are the, the things that are important to me. When mainly I can talk about, I'm not going to, you know, tell you my own personal affirmations or at least not publicly. You can uh, private message me. <laughs> so number one is what is my health, you know, my physical health. Number two is my mental and mindfulness health. Number three is about the, the my purpose, which is inspiring and coaching people to become better. And the fourth one is financial security and the fifth one. No, sorry. The fourth one is about mastering focus and and productivity. So I want to become better at that. And the fifth one is is financial security. Now, so I I have these five affirmations. Let's say that these are my long-term goals. And then I have, I've been trying to, to, to crack my own code on every, every time I do something or every time I schedule something, I want to, that my time, my investment in time is pointing or, or, or directed towards one of these five areas. Mm. And sometimes I can, <laughs> sometimes I can't. So is this a good way to do it? Is there something else that I can do to improve? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I mean, these are very clear domains, right? And areas where you want to progress on. So that's already useful. And the more specific you get, the the better. And it, it's true, our environment very often pulls us away from our intentions. Yep. Right? I mean, we're just simply in particular settings that reinforce very often our past automatic behaviors that we actually want to get rid of. So and we also know that willpower is actually quite limited, especially when you're tired and stressed, right? Absolutely. So we can't just rely on, on willpower. And so the first thing is, uh, what I like is that it's very clear what you want to say yes to here, right? To these five areas, which is very important because if you're going to say yes to these things, you will have to say no to other things. Mm-hmm. And this is where many, many of the clients I coach, it sounds so logical, but they they're not very good in saying no to things and therefore they can't say yes to other things. Sometimes I do an exercise. I I tell people, write down on a piece of paper the different areas of your life, right? Physical health, friends, primary relationships, financial security, work, maybe learning and development or growth. And then write down how much of your time you spend on that from zero to 10 of your life. And then in the second column, write down how important these areas are for you. Okay. And obviously you very often get, you know, family and stuff is right there at nine and 10 and they spend like two or three points of of time on that. And so why these huge inconsistencies, Mm -hmm. right? Between deep down and and it's because of that environment pulls us away. You know, sometimes there's other drivers, but we need to develop the ability to say no and even say what I call positive no's. So we have a, a difficulty very often in saying no because we're afraid that we might disappoint people or it, you know, we have worries around that. But every time you say no, 
you say yes to something else. True. So every time you say no to a, an extra piece of work or a client, or every time you say no to a meeting you actually don't want to go to, it becomes much easier if you first connect with what you say yes to. So maybe or I say maybe yes. Maybe you say to no be... to social media. Absolutely. Or, or you know, yeah. you say no to your phone that is ringing or is beeping, and you don't pull it up, and you say, you know, I, I'm I'm focusing on my work now, and if somebody is texting me, maybe is the time is not the time for me to to pick that up because it's ruining my flow. Yeah. This is a little yeah. bit more for the younger, for, for my students. Abs but Absolutely. Absolutely. These are trade-offs all the time and we're not making them consciously. We're just getting sucked into our environmental triggers and we end up with spending way much time, more time on things we actually don't value that much and too little time for the things that really matter. And so positive no's is a very important thing. You can also say not for now. You know, if there's a person asking for a request, but you really want to, you have a trouble saying no, you can say, you know, maybe not for now, maybe later, or you say no, because I really want to you know, dedicate my time with friends now or about my physical fitness. This but is a training that is. we married men have to learn very. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We can do a separate podcast. <laughs> <on that>. Yes, <laughs> But so the, the power of a, of a positive no and the ability to connect with what you say truly yes to, right? Which can be connected to purpose, link it to what we said before is really important. The second thing I would advise is whenever you want to create new habits or new practices, as I sometimes call them, is you need both discipline and flexibility. Okay. So you need discipline because you need to stick to a certain regime and that needs a certain uh, routine right? Mm -hmm. And be very disciplined. But with any new habit development or any new practice, you also need a degree of flexibility. I, and especially the people I often work with, those are highly structured, very disciplined, focused executives. And when they are, I, re, I currently have a client in the US who says, listen, I need to go to this boot camp gym session five times a week. And he gets so rigid about it. He once missed it because he was sick and he like really beat himself up on it. I said, just relax, right? I mean, that you need some flexibility so that you, you know, we don't always follow our, our diet regime, right? Mm -hmm. We don't always, you know, follow our alcohol consumption intention or, and so the ability to sometimes acknowledge that and just go back on the, on track again and have some degree of flexibility and, and gentleness with ourselves while keeping the discipline is very important because mm. the danger, if, if it's, if there's no sense of somewhat lightness or ease around your practices, it's not going to be fun and you're going to stop it at some stage. Okay. So every time I work with clients, I want to make sure that the new intentions they set and the new behaviors they want to practice, that they can have some degree of fun and lightness with it. Because it also just becomes another thing on their list, another chore, and they might manage on willpower for a couple of weeks, yeah. but then they'll give up. So yeah. let's dive, dive a little bit deeper in this one. And we are uh, already uh, a little bit long, but this is very important. So trying to tie everything up is, let's make an example, meditation. I don't want to go into something sensitive like, weight or, or dieting. So let's say meditation. That is a, is a very great example. I love meditation. I try to do it as much as I can. And I physically feel better. My energy is much better. So when I do it in the morning, first thing I do, I also want to break the the, the there are different kinds of meditation. Sometimes I do the classic breathing or, or like you said, Zen meditation, <laughs> or sometimes I just write for, for 15 minutes or 10 minutes free writing uh, and breathing. That's also a form of meditation for me. It works very well because it em empties my mind. Now I, I, I have proof and I know that when I do this, I feel better. I'm more productive. My, my day goes better. And yet 
I can't do it as much as I want to. Yeah. How do we trigger ourselves to do that? And this could be, yeah. you know, eating better, exercising, spending time with the family, uh, reading a book, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, and obviously you're not alone, right? <laughs> yeah, there's, of course. There's a, it's a very human tendency. I often say, you know, uh, insight is not the problem for most people. We kind of know what we want to do better, what we should do better. That's not the problem, right? Many people think they need to read another book on the topic. Yeah. <laughs> but what we very often need to do is practice the insight that we already have. Okay. Right? So I also, I once had a client who read like two self-help books every month and his practice was to not read anything for three months and just focus on practicing what he knows already. Right? <laughs> so it just it's like, how can you focus on developing a practice rather than just focusing on yet more insights. Sometimes I see That's these inside junk, inside junkies. I call them like, I need to watch another 100 Ted talks. Well, you don't actually, you know, already so much about what you want to change. Let's focus on translating that into a practical and practices rather than just chasing yet the next book because, or the next Ted talk or the next uh, workshop. So Focus on practice and, and, and quite simple. I very often break it down to listen, what are the two or three things you're going to do differently, especially when people choose behaviors that are different than what they would normally um, do. It's, it's good to, to less is more there, right? Mm -hmm. not, not, um, and then I would say two things. It's structure and support. Um, the first one, structure means how can you create a set of conditions. There's a book called switch by the yeah. um, heat brothers, heat right? Brothers. Yeah. I read it. Yeah. He, he calls it shape the path, which means how can you make moving into that new habit or behavior as easy as possible? Yep. So if your practice is running in the morning, put your running shoes next to your bed, don't fall over them at night, but just put them next to your bed Socks there, like everything. So it doesn't cost any mental CPU yeah. for you to actually move out and go running. The same for True. meditation. Make sure it becomes a routine. It becomes so structure, right? So create all the conditions so it becomes easy for you. It doesn't need mental effort to make that decision. Mm. Again, you need the flexibility. It doesn't work every day. Don't make too big of a deal out of it just come back to your practice right after so that's structure so yeah if i can share my practice and i've been trying to hack myself as well <laughs> so i i wrote down and i said you know one hour exercise every morning one hour meditation every morning and then i'm gonna eat very clean and then i'm gonna read three books and this didn't work at all for me and so I was sure. trying to do this kind of hacking and I noticed, for example, and this is one of the things that I do, it's location based for me. So for example, I decided that every morning I'm going to move myself in specific spots of the house, or I'm going to perform some of this task, one of these five tasks that I need to do or the, my five affirmation for 15 minutes. So I want to meditate. I'm going to sit 15 minutes in the studio or if, if I'm doing writing, I'm sitting at my desk for 15 minutes. If I'm exercising, for example, I'm going to move on a guest bedroom where I have a yoga mat. So, and I just sit there for 15 minutes. So I'm hacking my mind to do that. Or for example, if it's finance, right. I want to read about finance. I have my own, my armchair. So I said, I'm going to move myself there. I'm going to sit there for 15 minutes. And so my mind tells me, okay, if you can go there and I'm trying to construct this habit and it's working out, I need more time to, I think, sediment this habit, but it's actually working because I, my mental effort is, can you go there in that location? And then when I'm there, yeah. I know that, okay, here I'm on the armchair. I need to read about finance and I do whether I check my accounts or, or I read about finance or, yeah. 
I did not. I, I I liked it. Yeah, no, it's true. The, this is the cue, right? To start a new habit or a behavior. I have a lot of clients who develop, you know, once they park the car at home, they take a few mindful breaths and let go of work and be really present for their family, at least the first 15, 20 minutes. Or yeah, location is, is great, right? Timing could be a great one every time at four o'clock. You know, you might get off your desk and go and speak to somebody you want to get to know better. There's many different cues that you can install. I would put them all under the structure part. Mm-hmm. There's a great, the, the science on, you know, tiny habits. I think it's Stanford a professor who looked at the, the habit development as well. And he realized one way that you could do it as well as hook it into existing habits. Yeah. Right. So there's this guy who every time goes to the toilet afterwards, he would do five or 10 pushups. <laughs> and bef- be- before he knew he was actually getting quite fit because, or every time you open the door, you hook it into some other habit, right? So hook the new habits you want to create into an existing habit you already have, like brushing your teeth. What could you do right after brushing your teeth? Right. So it, it all requires less mental CPU to yeah. get those going. And, and so, and, um, an important one there is also when you actually do it and you feel good, whether it's after your meditation or after take a few moments to feel it, mm. to feel how you feel better than before to feel like, wow, this was really good. This was useful for my body. This was great. I, I learned something. But take even 10 seconds to just savor the fact that you did the thing you wanted to do. And it will give a signal to your brain. It gives a little bit of dopamine and it will actually help you re-engage the next time you want to do it. Mm. So that's structure. The other part I wanted to focus on was support. Yeah. Very often new behaviors or new habits especially if they're out of your comfort zone or outside of your pre-programmed autopilot way of doing things is hard to do on your own, sometimes even impossible. So you need to rally support, right? Whether it's your wife or whether it's a colleagues or whether it's friends, but actually declare your, you don't need to do it on this podcast, but declare your, your actual intentions and ask people for specific help. If you see me do that, please let me know. Or, you know, do you want to be my buddy around this workout practice? Or do you want to, again, it's very hard on our own. So sharing it transparently for both accountability as well as motivation support reasons. So make sure you got structure and support really nailed down around your practices and your probability of success is much higher. And this is the part of how you build discipline, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I, I shape the path is very much linked to, to discipline and making sure, yeah, you have a recurring routine, but again, the, the flexibility and I had to laugh with your initial intention of doing an hour of this and an hour of that and reading three books. And it seems you have the same optimism bias that I have <laughs> <laughs> of like, you know, I'm going to change myself in the next week and become this huge <laughs> enlightened, ripped person in the next month. Mm-hmm. But it's so start small, start modest. It's much better to progress even 10% every year. Imagine yeah. every year you become 10% happier and 10% healthier. You're nailing it big time. Yes. Don't, don't aim like too high because sometimes we get discouraged right afterwards. Awesome. Gaston, thank you so, so much. If we want to wrap up our uh, one hour long discussion in, uh, I would say three main points, how can we recap them in, in three, uh, in three main points? So number one desire, I would say, shifting the idea on from what do you desire or how to become more desirable is that one could be yeah don't make it about yourself too much understand some of your values and needs but start focusing on how to best serve others using the qualities you've you know received from many other people and and move from self-consciousness to serving others okay So serving our others and from what I desire in reality is how do I become more desirable? 
and and less self-conscious and number two if we can i i would say the the piece on uh, purpose as probably being one of our main drivers and starting to understand what drives me and what really matters to me instead of just focusing on say a strategy to meet mm -hmm. those needs so whenever you wonder i want to be rich famous or i want to achieve this results ask yourself at least five times why if you like but what's underneath that and start connecting with what really gives you purpose and what's important instead of just focusing on this on one strategy that you think will achieve that all right number three I think this is about the habit development or new practices that we talked about. So it yes. requires both discipline and flexibility, but also structure and support. And you saying no. Those... Saying yes. no, right? <laughs> saying every no to something. No. Every time you say no to something, you say yes to something else. So every time you say no to a slice of pizza, you're saying yes to your thinner, better, yeah. more athletic self. Or you, yeah. right? Yeah, and that's why connecting with what matters to you, if you really feel the yes, the no becomes so much easier. And it's less, you know, you feel less bad afterwards, so you feel, but yeah. Maybe this is also Deep. a mental trigger, like stop one second, and, and, you know, I love food and I'm super glutton. So maybe, maybe it is a strategy to hacking our, your brain then saying, okay, I want to have a piece of chocolate and you're saying, okay, if I say yes to the piece of chocolate, I'm saying no to my, you know, six pack. So what do I want to, you know, it, it could be a mental trigger just Once you are giving a choice, understand what you're saying yes to and what you're saying no to. Yeah. So I'm saying yes yeah, to the I, chocolate. I'm saying no to, you know, free time because I need to go to the gym and, and run it out. <laughs> Something like yeah. that. Maybe it's a strategy yeah. as well. As long as you don't judge yourself don't judge afterwards. yourself. There's too much, too much judging happening anyway. And that's why I focused on the flexibility If you need, sometimes don't pursue your practice or your habit or your discipline or routine, then give yourself a break. I mean, recommit, don't let yourself off the hook. But many of the people I met then beat themselves up, judge themselves, and it becomes um, tough to re-engage with the practice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the most interesting <laughs> approaches that we need to have is, is also trying to understand ourselves and not being such hard, hardcore, uh, and having this all or nothing, like you said before, you know, the fact that you are, if you can improve systematically 5%, 10% every year or every month uh, is, is going to be amazing. So it's the long run at the end of the day, yeah. he said, if you are constantly doing what you're doing. So if you are meditating uh, 28 days out of a month is already a great success. And if those two days you are too busy too fast, it's still okay. Right. So I think this is a great, a great advice. And then, like you said before, also the, the structure and support. And, and I think we, we wrap it up. Thank, thank you so much, Gaston. If we want to follow you, where we can, can we find you? Well, you know, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. There's LinkedIn? not too many Gaston Schmitz. Uh, and, you know, we have uh, AsianLeadership.com. That's okay. a website I will, where we offer our own work. Awesome. Yeah. I will do all the links in uh, on glc.live on, on the episode uh, blog post. So, and we can live in, in saying that, you know, in this world where everyone is obsessed with the final outcome, we'd never find purpose if, That is the only thing we care about, the final outcome. If we don't want to be ruled by desire, we must understand that the final outcome might vary and might be unsatisfactory 
due to many different variables. And that's why we must fall in love with the process and not the final outcome. And also allow ourselves to think about how can we progress and how we can become better every day. And, and that should be the focus of our desire, not the final outcome, but the inner words, the inner part of becoming better, a better version of ourselves every day. I, and I think this, this is what we have been discussing <laughs> in this, uh, mm. in this wonderful hour with Gaston. GLC Live is produced by Gary Moran. I'm Gianluca Cinque Palmi. Special thanks to Gaston Smith. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. For references and links, please visit glc.live/podcast. Thank you, Gaston. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye.